Good morning, everyone. We're so glad that you're with us today. It is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are with us today. And uh, we have quite a few of our number that's gone today. I happen to know there's several that are vacationing and, and maybe some just visiting with Sister Congregation. Maybe that's where Dad is and they're worshiping with Dad today perhaps. And uh, those kinds of things. And we got quite a few visiting with us today, and it's my hope and prayer that we can gain from uh, this morning's worship and lesson that we can all be strengthened by the things that we are studying today. First, I want to just uh, ask our young people some. We've got four right here. We've got others kind of spread out through uh, uh, the auditorium this morning. In Bible class this morning, was your lesson on prayer? This means yes. This means no. Did we talk about prayer in Bible class this morning? I'm getting some nods, yes. Okay. All right, so we talked about prayer a little bit. Prayer is very important in our lives, isn't it? Very important that we uh, think about prayer. And so this is a a prayer. Did y'all talk about this prayer today? Matthew chapter 6 didn't talk about that prayer. Okay, well, there's a lot of things really about prayer in the Bible. You can almost go to any page of the Bible and find something about prayer. And so it's really hard to get everything in. But we have always called this the Lord's Prayer, hadn't we? Can I get everyone, I know it's a little blurry, but most of us know it. Can we just recite it together for a moment? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we call that the Lord's Prayer, don't we? However, it is not the Lord's Prayer. It's the Lord's model prayer. It's the prayer that uh, Jesus taught his disciples to pray in that day and time. It's a good prayer. There's many elements of that prayer that that we need to use in our prayer life today and have done so. But when we think about the Lord's Prayer, I want us to think about John chapter 17. In John 17 is where Jesus prayed to God. This was, uh, to put it in context, this was just uh, very shortly before a mob of people came and took him. Soldiers came and took him away to be tried and then crucified on the cross of Calvary. And so Jesus prayed in that prayer. We find that uh, in, in the first five verses, Jesus prayed for himself. And in our adult class, we talked about this just very briefly this morning. We kind of ran out of time, and that's okay. But we uh, saw how Jesus prayed for himself. And then Uh, He prayed for His disciples beginning in verse 6 through 19. And then verses 20 through 23, He prayed for us. And I'd like to read those verses because uh, what we want to talk about this morning is found in these verses. Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, and they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved 
and have loved them as you have loved me. Beautiful prayer indeed. But as Jesus prayed for this unity that we all are to have, we, we know it just didn't work out that way. We talked about in our class this morning how we pray for a lot of things and uh, for whatever reason God says no or He says wait. But Jesus even realized that there was going to be division upon this earth before He prayed. And so over time, you know, we still have the Jews, we had the Catholic Church, and then uh, in, in recent centuries we had uh, the springing up of different kinds of churches. We might have uh, that of, uh, say, the uh, Lutherans, uh, then to uh, the Methodists, the Presbyterian, the Baptists, the uh, Church of the Nazarene, and many others that have popped up over the years, uh, many different denominations, uh, ranging well into the thousands, and even churches that are popping up today calling themselves, quote, unquote, non-denominational churches. Um, and so there are all kinds of things that are out there uh, among us today. But at the close of the 18th century and at the beginning of the 19th century, there was a great movement toward religious unity in our country. There were men such as um, James O'Kelly, who was a Methodist, uh, Elias Smith, who was a Baptist, Barton W. Stone, who was a Presbyterian, Thomas and Alexander Campbell, who was a Presbyterian. And these were men who called people to be one. And, and you know, as they did this, uh, they were all independent of each other. These were men that didn't really know each other, except for the Campbells. But uh, they, they all in their own way started saying we need to uh, unify because there's only supposed to be one church and we're, this church is teaching this and this church is teaching that and we need to get back to teaching the same thing. Well, how do we do this? They all decided the best way to do this is just go back to the Word of God and teach what it teaches. We don't go beyond it and we don't fall short. We speak what the Bible speaks and we stay silent where the Bible is silent. And there were these men and others that had that idea, and they worked together, and they finally started recognizing one another. And so there today we have the Lord's Church, the Church of Christ. Unfortunately, over the years, we've even had divisions among ourselves over various things. And that's sad. But it goes back to John 17. We need to remember that Jesus prayed that we all be one. I want us to start from there, and I want us to go to Psalm 133 and think about something this morning. Psalm 133. It's a song of unity, a very short psalm, and it says this. David says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessings, life forevermore. Beautiful psalm indeed. When you think about it, the book of Psalms is the Bible hymn book. These were songs that they sang back in that day and time. And over these 150 chapters, there's over 2,500 verses of these psalms that were sung. You know that Psalm 119, that was a long song, wasn't it? <laughs> but this was a very short song that was sung in that day and time. 
And in this one, the psalmist is singing about how beautiful unity is. You notice he calls unity a precious oil. When we have unity, it makes us smell good. You want to smell good, don't you? (laughs) Unity makes us smell good. It really does. Notice again, back in our text, in John 17, verse 23, Jesus said, I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. You know, the world takes a better notice of us, that is the Lord's church. They'll take a better notice of us if we're smelling good. Because let's just face it, that what we have is a community of people around about us. And people in the community know what's going on around about them. They recognize that there's a building right here, says Fountainhead Church of Christ, and, and just up the road there's one says Fountainhead Baptist Church. And you can go up this way and that way and the other way and you find other buildings that have some sort of a church name upon it. And there's things that may be said about the people that attend these different places, whether right or wrong. There's things that are being said. Are we uh, having the unity that we have here that makes us smell good? Can people say, well, these people over here at Fountainhead Church Christ, they get along with each other. They truly love each other. They care about each other. When one of them's in trouble, all the rest of them just rally around and help that person or help that family. Are they watching out for each other? Do they uh, get along with, the, uh, with each other in the things that they do? You see, when we do that, the world does take notice of that. The community takes notice of those things. And we become more appealing, and that helps us to be more uh, more able to be uh, fruitful as we talk to people about their souls. And so we need to think about how our unity is as a precious oil. He also said unity is as the dew of Hermon. The dews of Hermon. You know, it is a great blessing. Why not? Well, think about this. If when we are dwelling together in unity, and I feel a good strong unity right now with our brethren here at this congregation. So I'm not stepping, I'm not picking on anybody this morning. But if we're not feeling these kinds of things, we need to work toward them. However, when there is this great unity, as as I feel that we have now, isn't everybody happier? Isn't it wonderful when we come together on the Lord's Day and see everyone happy? It's not good when, when someone walks in and, and they have to look and, and they have a scowl on their face because they see someone else and it just makes them feel that way. <laughs> because something isn't going right. There, there's some kind of conflict. There's some kind of division that's going on between two of the members. It is never good when that's happening. And so we want everybody to be happy And it's like the dues of Hermon. It's a great blessing. It makes us happier. Unity means that we are pulling together. And when we are pulling together, then more is accomplished. Maybe you've heard the old story, and I don't remember all the exact details of what it might have been, but uh, there was this farmer, and he wanted to see how much his mule can pull. And so he put so much weight behind that mule, and he found what the limit was. That mule could pull X amount of weight behind him. So the theory was, now if I have two mules, 
they should be able to pull twice that weight. So now he sets up two mules and, and he starts setting up twice the weight and he finds out, well, they pull it rather easily. In fact, two mules can pull five times the weight. You know, the more that's pulling, the more weight that can be pulled. And when we're working together in unity and pulling together, then more can be accomplished in the things that we're trying to do to bring people to the Lord. Beautiful song of unity from Psalm 133. Let us also consider the seriousness of division. Division is not something we want in the Lord's church. First of all, division is contrary to the Lord's prayer, the things that Jesus prayed for us today. You know, Jesus uh, sacrificed His life that we might be saved. He wants us all to go to heaven. Jesus died on the cross for that purpose. I'm so thankful for the things that Brother James said this morning before we partook of the Lord's Supper. It is a time to reflect and to remember and to think about what Jesus did that we might have eternal life. But as He had done this, His ways are clear. His commands to us today are very clear of what He wants us to do to be pleasing in the eyes of God. That goes back to these men we talked about that lived in earlier centuries that said, hey, let's just go by this book. Nothing more, nothing less. Let's speak what it speaks and let's be silent where it is silent. And so we have these commands that Jesus that tells us how we are to live and how we're to worship and how we're to be pleasing to God in our everyday lives. And He left everything in place for us to be the church, didn't He? Jesus died on the cross for the church. And Jesus prayed for the church. And so when we are in divisions, such as we are in our world today, we are certainly uh, in contrast of the things that Jesus has prayed for, and that what Jesus wants us to have in our lives. Also, division is serious because it grows infidelity. Look again at verse 20 and 21. Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they all may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Division grows in infidelity. You know, there are people out there in this world, again, they, they look around, there's a building at this crossroad and that crossroad, and and maybe two or three in between. They see all the choices that are out there. They weren't raised in a, a godly home. And, and, and maybe someone approaches them and, and says, you know, you're without God. Can I study with you? Can we uh, look at God's Word together? And, and there's some people that, that just do not uh, have God in their lives, but they might answer something like this. They may say, well, I'll believe when... All you churches get your act together. <laughs> when all you denominations that are out there, you, you get together and y'all talk this out and you work it out, then that's when I'll come a part of it. Have you ever had someone say something like that? I have. I've had people to say things like that. They're just frustrated and seeing all of the division that's in our religious world today. And it makes them more difficult to reach. Someone else may say something like this. They're without God, and they say, well, how can I know who's telling the truth? 
I come over here, you say one thing, and, and I'll go over there, and they say something else. How can I know? Well, of course, uh, our answer is what? We need to read the Bible. We need to read the Bible and understand what the Bible says. But yet there's some that just, well, you know, you're going to interpret it this way and so on. And so we see that problem. And then there's others that might say, well, then see, the Bible is very confusing. It really is not. If we just take our time to study it, it does have a lot of pages in it, but we can sit down we can study it and we can see the word of truth in it. And it's not very difficult to understand at all. You know, uh, I came across a stranger this week. He was just walking down the road. I happened to be out in the front yard, and we struck up a conversation. And uh, he, uh, the bottom line of his, his thing was this. He, he was saying that uh, he's been a part of different kinds of religions over the years, and uh, he, he likes to follow Brother Jake's now. That's what he said. I like to follow Brother Jake's. I'm a messenger for him. And he said, it doesn't matter, uh, you people over there in the Lord's Church, Church of Christ, and you people in the Baptist Church, and people over in the Methodist, it, it, we can all get to heaven the same way, or different ways, or whatever it might be. He was all excited about different ways to, to find God. And that was the conclusion he got by the division that we have in the world today. And that's what the devil wants us to think, and that's what he wants us to believe. So division causes this infidelity. Also, division is carnal. If you're following with me, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 just for a moment. 1 Corinthians 3. And we're going to look at the first four verses. Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, and, and until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For once one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? You know, we've looked at those scriptures before. And the Corinthians were struggling with this division that was going on. Once again, today, you go into a, a town and you drive down the main street, you're going to see all kinds of different churches that are represented. Back in that day, if you went into Corinth, I suppose you would see the Jewish synagogue. We know that that was there. I'm sure that they had some places of the idol gods that they worshipped in that day and time. And then they had the Lord's church. But even at that, even inside the Lord's church, there in the first century in this one congregation, they were having some divisions. They were having some problems among themselves. And that came to the attention of Paul the Apostle, and that's why he writes this letter to them. All throughout this book, he is talking about different things that they have got divided on. And, and, and so he's saying to them, you've got to straighten these things out. This is the truth. This is what God wants you to do. But he's... Uh, addressing this here in a general sense as he's very early in his letter and he tells them that with this division that's going along, this makes them carnal. They're not spiritual people. They're not the way that they were supposed to be. And he's calling them out for this. So the, the idea was 
there were many of them that was wanting to do their thing instead of doing God's thing. And that's the way it is today. We've got a lot of people wanting to do their thing instead of God's thing. And when we do that, that makes us carnal also. Look here at one thing he said. There were some people that said, well, I'm a Paul. And others saying, I'm a Paulus. Just, just kind of think of our congregation here. Some of you said, well, I'm, I'm a brother Matt. And some of you said, I'm a brother Doug. And then yet there's more said, I'm a brother Derek. By the way, all three of us are on the same team. <laughs> We're all preaching the same thing. We're all teaching the same thing. We love each other. We're in harmony with one another. And so there would be no reason because the same thing was true with Paul and Apollos and of Cephas that he mentions later on. We all are one together. And there's no reason why we should be divided. We all preach and teach the same thing. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 19 and 20. Um, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. And I'm going to stop right there. And you may be going, what on earth does that have to do with this lesson? <laughs> well, look at that next to the last one there in verse 20. Dissensions. Dissensions, isn't that a, a, a word that's a whole lot like division? When we have dissensions, we've got people that are divided over various things. And, and so that, that's a part of this. And, and so when we have dissensions in the congregation, that's a work of the flesh. Well, look at these other things too, like heresies. When that's in the congregation, that's a work of the flesh. Their selfish ambition. You've got people that have a selfish ambition, want a my way or the highway mentality. That's a work of the flesh. If you have someone that has outburst of wrath, work of the flesh. Jealousies, contentions, hatred, all of these. And any of these things that are mentioned here as the works of the flesh are all the things that can divide a congregation. These things are carnal and they counteract against unity. And we must keep these things out of the church. Division also defeats God's purpose. Look over in uh, Galatians, stay in Galatians uh, chapter 3, back up a page. Galatians 3 and verse 27 to 28. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ... There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. Division de defeats God's purpose. He realizes that we come from different walks of life, and yet He wants us to come and unite through this Word. You remember verse 6 through 19 talks about uh, Jesus praying for. His disciples, He prayed the same thing for them, that they be one, that they work together, and they did very well with that throughout the first century church. I always like to think about two characters, though, that the Bible doesn't discuss uh, their relationship, but I often wonder about it. One of them is the apostle who was Matthew. Remember Matthew? 
His, his uh, occupation was he was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government. Okay? And then there was another one who was Simon the Zealot. Well, what was a zealot? A zealot was a faction of people that opposed the Roman government, violently opposed the Roman government. And yet both of them was among the twelve that followed Jesus around. They had to get along, didn't they? No, no mention at all of, of any conversation or any dealings with these two. But we know that Jesus would teach them, hey guys, you've got to get along. Even though you work for the Roman government, and here you are, you're one that, that has all this opposition for the Roman government, you've got to come together as one and unite. And we got that same kind of thing today. we got people from different walks of life, different age groups, all kinds of things that are going on in our culture today that we need to work together to have this unity. But yet we have tens of thousands. Yes, folks, we have tens of thousands of religious divisions that's in this world today. And yet Jesus prayed that we be one. Do you desire unity? Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read the first seven verses of that. And we're going to finish our lesson today thinking about some things from, from this little scripture. Ephesians 4. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Do you desire unity? Do you want this unity? Well, here's some things we can do. First of all, walk worthy of your calling. That's what Paul tells us here. Walk worthy of your calling. What's your calling? What's your Christian life, isn't it? If we're Christians, we should walk like Christians, talk like Christians, and act like Christians. Live that Christian life. Live the way that God would have you to live. Live by the way this Bible tells us to live in the New Testament Scriptures. That's the law that we're under today, the, the law of Christ. And so as we live under the law of Christ, live under that law and just simply do the things that God would have you to do. Work, live and walk worthy of your calling. Then we can also be lowly and gentle. Just as Jesus was lowly and gentle. We're supposed to live our lives as Jesus lived. And that was uh, some traits that he had in his life. He was gentle. He was lowly. We should be gentle and lowly also. This helps us. If we want unity, we must be long-suffering and bear with each other. Long-suffering and bearing with each other. We have had a long, long, long study on Wednesday night 
studying through the divided kingdom into the days, and now we're in the days of the captivity, studying in, in the book of Daniel. And we have brought this theme up countless number of times as we've been looking uh, through the, the latter chapters of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles and then on into the prophecies where we saw uh, the lives of these people, uh, how long-suffering God was with them. He bared with them a long time. And we're taught today that we are to be long-suffering with each other. There's times that, I don't know, there may be something that I might do that just gets under your skin. <laughs> Jesus says you've got to be long-suffering with that and bear with that. It may be someone else with each other. It may not have anything to do with, with whether something's sinful or whether it's right. It's just, just a personality trait that's a little different. And so we've got to learn to be have that long-suffering. There are some things that where, where God kind of leaves it in our hands of what to do. And when we do that, we've got to work together with the spirit of love to keep the unity. And then he also talks about endeavoring to keep uh, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavor to keep that unity. And, and we can do that by, by just given everything we got in ourselves, that we pray for unity, that we pray for each other, and that we go out of our way to be a blessing upon each other, putting ourselves last and putting others first and certainly putting God first above all. We do those things and endeavor to keep the unity. We're going to be able to keep the unity. It works very simply that way. And then, Paul says, remember the ones. We've studied about the ones so many times. And I'm not going in the exact order that he has them here, but, but we do have one God. And we will have unity in worship when it is centered upon pleasing God instead of whatever it is we want to do. We're here today to please God. God is our audience. And we're here to worship Him and Him only and not here to entertain ourselves or to be entertained. We're here to worship God. And we need to remember that. We have one Lord. and We'll have unity when we understand that Christ has all authority. He has all of authority. And we need to follow that authority. And by the way, how, how can we know that authority? Well, we study God's Word. Folks, we've got to study this Word. We've got to read it. We've got to have an understanding of it. And if we don't read it, we won't understand it. We won't know what it's saying to us. We need to study it at home. Constantly reading, searching the Scriptures to get an understanding of what God would have us to do. And by the way, folks, we have a Bible study here at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning. We have a Bible study Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We come together and we study together. And that study helps us to be strengthened. I am telling you, whether I'm up here teaching the class or I'm sitting in the pew and someone else is teaching, 
just about every Sunday there's something that's brought to light that I hadn't thought about. And it strengthens me as a Christian. And so I'm sure others that when you're here, you're strengthened in that same way. But if you're not here, you're missing out on something wonderful of how we are being strengthened by taking a look at the Scriptures together and coming to an understanding of the Word of God. We have one Spirit. You know, we'll have unity when we understand the message of God's Word. And again, that Spirit is the one that brings us that message. This is a message that comes by the authority of the Holy Spirit. We have the one faith. We will have unity when we are all spreading the same message. If I'm out here speaking uh, about the gospel of Christ and, and Derek decides he's going to go teach something else, Matt's going to teach something else, and our elders are all teaching different things, then that brings division, doesn't it? We all need to be speaking and teaching the same thing. And we have that one faith. We also believe in the one baptism. And we will have unity when we're baptizing for that same purpose. And we understand the Scriptures is telling us that we're baptizing for the purpose of the remission of our sins. That's what Peter says, Acts 2.38. The forgiveness of sins comes in our baptism. And then that's when the Lord adds us to the church, those that are being saved. We have one body. We will have one unity when we are organized the same way. Well, how do we know how to organize? Well, again, the Word of God tells us that we're under an eldership. And the eldership helps us to, by leading us and uh, directing us and being sure that, that we're being fed the Word of God and that we have an understanding of the Word of God. And then we have the one hope that we will have unity when we have that same hope in our hearts. And of course that hope is a heavenly home, isn't it? That's what I'm hoping for. I have that hope. And when we work together, we all can share in that same hope and have the same results in the afterlife. That's the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prayed for Himself. He prayed for His disciples. And He said, just as I pray for disciples that they may be one, I want the brethren always till the end of time to be one and work together that we can be a group of people that smells good to this world, that they'll want to come in and be a part of that. That they'll want to come in and, and want to know more about God and study with us. And that their hearts might be softened, that as we soften the hearts, that we can teach them the truth of God's Word. I pray that the Lord's Prayer will stir up our hearts, that we will indeed have the unity of the Spirit and in the bond of peace. Maybe someone here today, and you're outside of the body of Christ, why don't you come in and be a part of the body? Come on in and be a, a part of the body of Christ. Be a part of that unity that we have and that we share with one another. You can do that. If you believe that Jesus is God's Son and repent of your sins, be baptized for the remission of your sins. Again, Acts 2.38, that you might... Uh, have the forgiveness of your sins and that you might be added into the Lord's church, a part of that body of Christ and be a part of that oneness that we have. Maybe you have done that, but you've strayed away. You need the prayers of the church. We're here to pray for you. We've talked about that in our class this morning. There's always need for prayer. But if you need 
a prayer this morning. We'll be glad to pray for you also. So any need you may have, please come as we stand and sing.